reading from Romans chapter 13, verses 8 to uh, 14, and then reading from Romans chapter 14, verses 1 to 12. Owe no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit uh, adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. Besides this, you know the time, that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone, the day is at hand. So then, let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not that one who eats despise the one who abstains. And let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person esteems the day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in the honor of the Lord. The one who eats eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord, and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then, each of us will give an account of himself to God. Thank you, Edda. Let's pray before we come and look at God's word. Father, will you guide us as we come and look at this passage of the Bible, we pray, Lord God, that you will teach us from it, that you would speak to us. We want to hear the head of the church guiding us this morning. So we pray that you would do that. Amen. It wasn't until my fourth year at university... Uh, that I got to move out of halls and into a house with some friends from church. In many ways, it was a great year, a year of adventure, a year of encouragement, living with other Christians, uh, studying and talking about Christ together. These these things were good and, and helpful. I don't know if you had the same experience as me, whether at university or whether just living with other people in general, I also found it quite a challenging year. It was the first time 
that I'd lived with anybody outside of my family home. The first time I'd lived with anybody outside of uh, the people I'd grown up with, the established way of doing things that I'd been brought up knowing. And and I came to realize that of the six of us in the house, uh, there were several different opinions on how the house should run, how life should work, how bills should be dealt with, how shopping should be done, and all kinds of other matters. Different people had different opinions. And I found that a bit of a struggle. It's the same, really, with any group of people that you gather together, isn't it? Whenever you bring people together, you will find differences between them, different opinions, different ways of doing things. Now, we could take the mature view and stand back from that and say, well, that's a good thing. It's enriching. It's positive. But I also want to take the honest view. Those differences can easily, if not already, become a source of tension between people. How are we to deal with different opinions in the church of Jesus Christ? That's the context as we come to this chapter together. If we think of the book of Romans, the first 11 chapters, Paul has laid out the good news of Jesus. It begins with the difficult news that we're all sinners. We've all rebelled against God and deserve his judgment. And we can't do anything about that situation. We can't, there's nothing we can do to make us right with God. But God sent Jesus, his son, into the world to die on the cross in our place, to rise from the dead. And if we trust in him, we will be forgiven and we are made right with God. The way to be good enough for God, that's the title of our series, is by putting our trust in Jesus. And then as we get to the end of chapter 11 and come into chapter 12, Paul says, in the light of all this, live your lives as living sacrifices. And then he explains what that means. And the principal definition that he's been bringing to us is a life of love, where we love one another. And Doug brought us to that life last week, looking at a different book in 1 John. One of the principal ways in which we live as a result of this amazing news of Jesus is we love each other. What's one of the challenges to loving one another? The fact that we have different opinions on things. That's how we come to this chapter. How are we to deal with those differences? Look at verse 1. As for the one who is weak in faith, we'll come and think about weak in faith later in the sermon. Look at the next two words, though, for now. Welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. Welcome the one who differs. I think this is a really important chapter for us as a church at this point in our journey together as a group of Christians. And uh, I'm going to be preaching 
two sermons from the first part of chapter 14, then Johnny will preach a sermon, and then I'll come and, and finish off the chapter in a few weeks' time. It's a really important passage because as a church, we've been going through a time of growth over the last two or three years. And, and Lord willing, that growth is going to continue. New people have been coming to join us as a church. And as we've gone through that time of growth, I don't know if you've noticed it, we've gone not just through a time of growth in number, but growth in diversity. People coming from different backgrounds. People coming from different church backgrounds. People coming from different cultural backgrounds. And as we've grown, the number of opinions that are held has grown too. And the likelihood of us holding different opinions to one another has increased. So how are we to deal with that? How are we to deal with that in the light of the gospel? How does Jesus want us to deal with that? That's hopefully what we're going to be seeing as we go through Romans 14. I want to give you three principles from the first four verses of this chapter this morning that I think will help us as we think through that question. The first principle is this. It's okay to differ. It's okay to differ. We don't have to think the same on everything as a church. We don't have to hold the same opinions on everything as a group of people. Look at verse 1 again. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. He might differ from you in something, but welcome him genuinely, not to correct him, not to change his mind, because that difference doesn't really matter. It's okay to differ. Now we need to just step back here for a moment and think a little bit of how this comes in the Bible context because there are times in the Bible where it's not okay to disagree. So it matters if we disagree on how someone is saved. It matters if we disagree on how someone gets right with God. It matters whether we say it's through faith in Jesus alone or it's through faith in Jesus plus this whole other list of stuff. So when Paul writes to the churches in Galatia, the churches in Galatia have heard the good news of Jesus that you're saved through Christ and through faith in him. But then other teachers are coming to the church and saying, yeah, that's all well and good, but you also need to be circumcised. You also need to follow these food laws. You also need to keep with what it says in the Old Testament. How does Paul deal with that? He doesn't say, welcome them, it doesn't matter. He says, even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, if someone comes and tells you a different way of getting right with God, let him be accursed. Or to kind of transliterate that word accursed, let him be eternally condemned. Stand under God's judgment forever. That's... It's a big word, isn't it? I want you to imagine, I, I put my article in the Fens magazine this week, or I, I send it off on Tuesday, and um, 
the kind of premise of the article is about walking in the hills. What would you think if I was to put in there, if you don't like walking in the hills, then you should be eternally condemned? Do you think that would get published? Hopefully it wouldn't. And if it did, I think some of you will be coming and having a word with me about my language and my use of it. That's a strong phrase. You, you children at school, if you were to go out in the, the, the playground and run round and, and play a game of eternally condemned, where, where you're not playing it, you're going, you're eternally condemned. I think your teacher's going to be bringing you in and having a word with you about what you're saying. This is strong language. But Paul says if there's someone teaching in the church a different gospel, a different way to be saved, let them be eternally condemned. Now we need to give room for someone who's become a Christian to discover the full reality of the gospel. It doesn't mean we jump on everybody at every mistake that they make, but it's clear it matters if we disagree on how someone is made right with God. Similarly, it matters if we disagree on clear moral issues. In the book of Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, Paul writes to the church and he says, it's actually reported that there is among you sexual immorality and of a kind that is not tolerated even among pagans for a man has his father's wife. So here in this church, there's a man who's in a relationship a sexual relationship with his stepmother. And in his mind, probably, that's okay. Why should I be bothered about that? That's fine. That's his opinion. And Paul's opinion is, no, it's not okay. Is it okay for them to differ? Does Paul say, well, we can just agree to differ on this? Welcome him in the Lord? No. He says, meet together and put him out of the church. It matters if we disagree on clear moral issues. But it doesn't matter if we reach different conclusions as we seek to live out God's word. So what's going on here, verse 2. One person believes he may eat anything. His conclusion, as he thinks about the gospel, that means I can eat whatever I want to eat. And another person says, I can eat only vegetables. I can't eat meat, I can only eat vegetables. Paul says that's not a big thing. Don't make it a big issue. Welcome him in the Lord. Or in verse 5, one person esteems one day as better than another. This could potentially be sort of special feast days of the, the Jewish calendar. It might be even a use of a, a Saturday or a Sunday. While another esteems all days alike. Paul says there's a difference of opinion, but it's not a big one. Welcome him in the Lord. I think what we're being told here is this. Don't make a big issue out of something that's not a big issue. Don't make a big issue out of something that's not a big issue. Let me ask you a question. Should Christians celebrate Christmas? I'm expecting that probably for most of us, that's not been a question that we've given much time to thinking through. Christmas is about Jesus, 
it's obvious that it's a good thing to celebrate. Christmas is something we've grown up with and we've celebrated within the churches. So obviously Christians can celebrate Christmas, but, but maybe, maybe as you think about that, you think, no. Maybe it's the materialism that's attached to it. Maybe other things, maybe you think, no. I don't want to celebrate Christmas. I don't think it's a good idea for Christians to celebrate Christmas. I wonder if you've come to that conclusion. How, how readily do you feel people would be accepting of you if you made that known? How would you respond in a prayer group if someone said, I'm not sure we should be celebrating Christmas? Would they be listened to and respected? Paul says it's not a big issue. It's not something that we should divide over. Welcome him in the Lord. Or what about television? Should Christians watch television? And if they do, what should they watch and what shouldn't they watch? I think there's some obvious answers there on certain things. No, that's not for Christians to watch. But there's also a massive gray area. Whereas we think about it, we might come to different conclusions. And we might come to different conclusions when it comes to our children. Are we going to get het up over that? Are we going to let that become a big issue among us? Paul says it's not that big a deal. Welcome him in the Lord. Wonder this morning, is there someone in this church who holds a different opinion to you that you struggle with? Can I urge you, don't fall out over it. Don't cross them off the list of people that you will invite to your house for dinner because they have a different point of view. And don't feel it's your mission to correct them. That's what Paul says here, welcome them, but not to quarrel over opinions. It's okay to differ. Secondly, it's okay to be on a journey. It's okay to be on a journey. In verse 2, one person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Why is there a difference here of opinion? In this particular example... It isn't so clear in the one in verse 5, but in this particular example, the reason for the difference is that in this area of eating, one person is more mature in their faith than the other. The reason the person is not eating meat is because they haven't yet got to that place in their understanding of the gospel. They're on a journey. I think it's important to ask the question here, what does weak in faith actually mean? Weak in faith here doesn't mean struggling to trust Jesus in the difficulties of life. Let me paint you a scene. Here's somebody who's a Christian. They trust in Jesus. They're part of a church. And then that they contract a very painful illness. And each day their body aches. Each day their, their life is kind of ebbing away. And as you go and visit them, there are moments when 
they seem joyful, but also moments when they feel very depressed and they struggle very much to see the goodness of God in what's happening. I'm sure that's a situation we've seen. If not, I'm sure it's a situation we will see. And it's potentially and probably likely to be a situation we will find ourselves in personally. A time of doubting because of the painfulness of our circumstances. Now, in one sense, it would be right to say that what's that demonstrating? A weakness of faith. Because in those times, that's when our faith is tested and we see really how strong our grip on the Lord and the truths of God are. So so yeah, you can call it a weakness of faith. At those times, wonderfully, we discover that God's grip on us is much stronger than our grip on him. And so he brings us through those times. But it is not the weakness of faith that Paul is talking about here. He's not talking here about doubting or struggling to hold on to the promises of God. He's talking here about opinions or literally reasoned viewpoints that someone has come to. He's talking about our thinking, our thinking about what is right and what is wrong in the Christian life. So weak in faith here doesn't mean struggling to trust Jesus in the difficulties of life. Secondly, weak in faith isn't defined by whether you disagree with me or not. Let me give you an example. Music in church services. I'm picking that example not because I want to have a go at anyone in particular. I'm picking that example because it is an area where we all have an opinion. And an area where we generally have quite strong opinions. Opinions that come from a a collection of two sides. One, our personal preferences, but also hopefully and principally the word of God and how it leads us. And you can have two people who come together and read the same Bible and come up with two different conclusions. On one side, you might have someone who comes up with a a kind of relatively tight and and limited use of music in, in church services, and another person who comes up with a relatively open and much fuller or bigger use of music within church services. What's the tendency when you come to this passage in that sort of situation? The one who comes up with the more open view says, well, I've reasoned it out from the Bible. They've come to a different description, so they must be the weak in faith because they differ from me. Or the one with the more limited view says, well, I've come up with this from the Bible and they differ, so they must be the one that's weak in faith because they differ from me. I want you to notice here There's only one side in this situation. This is not applied to the music argument. There's only one side in this situation who's weak in faith. It's not that the person who eats meat is weak in faith and the person who who doesn't eat meat is weak in faith because they differ from each other. No, it's because of the way that they are applying Scripture or not applying Scripture to that current situation. Weak in faith isn't defined by whether you disagree with me or not. Weak in faith is someone who is struggling to live 
fully in the reality of the gospel. What is the gospel? Summed it up at the beginning. We're sinners. We've rebelled against God. God sent his son in his love for us to die on the cross. He lived that perfect life and rose again. And if we believe in him, our sins are paid for, we're forgiven. We're clothed in his goodness, so we're now right with God. We're accepted before him. Not because of what we've done, but because of the unchanging work of Jesus. And that brings tremendous liberty in life. Romans 7 is speaking about that. A liberty. Romans 8 is speaking about that. Therefore, there is now no condemnation. We don't stand under condemnation because we are in Christ. And that liberty then can be worked out in our life. And what's happening here is these people who are weak of faith are struggling to live out the Christian gospel liberty in the area of what they live what they eat. So they might be Jews, brought up with the Old Testament food laws. So from a young child, they have been taught, you don't eat pork. God does not want you to eat pork. From a young child, they've been taught, you cannot eat unclean meat. God does not want you to eat unclean meat. If you do that, you'll make him angry. You'll displease him. And now they become Christians. They put their trust in Jesus, the Messiah, But as they live for him, they can't shake this nagging feeling in the back of their head that it's wrong to eat pork. It's wrong to eat unclean meat. And no matter how much you bring them to the passage in Mark where Jesus says everything's clean to eat, or the passage in Acts where God shows Peter everything's clean to eat, they can't get rid of that nagging voice in their head. And so they eat just vegetables. What's going on? The gospel says it's okay. We are saved through Jesus and his work, not through our religious observance. But they can't quite bring that to bear in this area of eating. Or maybe it's a Gentile. Had the same result, but from a different, uh, different uh, beginning. Maybe this is a Gentile who's been brought up or seen the religion around them and the religious instruction. That true religion is about saying no to the pleasures of the flesh and yes to a kind of ascetic spiritualism. Saying no to the nice food and saying yes to the bare minimum. And so when they become a Christian, they trust in Jesus, but they can't shake that kind of view of religion from the back of their mind. And so feel they have to eat only vegetables. Who are these people? They are those who trust in Jesus, yes. But they're on a journey of discovery to see and to understand and to apply what the gospel really means day by day, in their lives. And so what's Paul saying here? Don't cut people out because they haven't finished the journey yet. Don't cut people out of the church because they're here and not all the way over here. 
I think there's two important things to remember if we're to do that. The first is this. None of us are over here. We, we might be on one or two issues. We might be in this issue in the sense that I think it's okay to eat pork and okay to eat beef, and I, I don't have a problem with that. But I can guarantee you that every single one of us has areas in our lives where we aren't applying the gospel properly in practice. Where we aren't applying the liberty of the gospel in our day-to-day lives. Where we aren't applying the kingship of Christ, our Lord and Savior, in the day-to-day of our lives. Where we aren't applying who we now are in Jesus in the day-to-day outworking of our lives. None of us are over here. So we need to remember that so we don't cut out others who aren't there too. And the second thing we need to remember is this. We need to look at people in the right way. I remember a a preacher preaching a a kind of challenging sermon about how do we look at people in the church? Do we look at them primarily as people who need to improve? And we're looking for the areas where they need to improve. Or do we look at them primarily as people where God is at work? And we look and search for the evidence of grace. If we look primarily for, you know, here's someone who needs to improve, well, that breeds pride in us because we become judging of them. But also we see our job as the teacher. It's my job to correct your mistakes and bring you up on that journey. If we look at people primarily as those where God is at work, then we are searching for evidences of his grace. We see someone as a brother and sister in Christ where God is drawing them on that journey and we come alongside and encourage rather than judge. That's really important. How do we look at one another? What do we see first in each other? If it's we see the improvements that are needed, can I make a suggestion? That's probably because we need to get to know each other better and be more involved in each other's lives. Because it takes work to see the evidences of grace. It's easy to see my failings. It's harder to see where God's at work. John Newton put it like this, I am not what I ought to be. I am not what I want to be. I am not what I hope to be in another world, but still, I am not what I once used to be. And by the grace of God, I am what I am. It's okay to be on a journey. And thirdly, it's okay if God says it's okay. It's okay if God says it's okay. Look at verse 3. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats. This is about the welcoming one another. But notice how he ends the sentence. For God has welcomed him. What does God say you need to do to belong to the church? What does God say you need to do to belong to his people? To be right with him? 
God says this, believe in Jesus. In the book of Ephesians, in chapter 1, it says, and you, having believed, were included. As he works that through into the end of chapter 2, so then you, these people who have believed in Jesus, you are no longer strangers and aliens. But you are fellow citizens. You've got a passport for the kingdom of heaven. And members of the household of God, you've got the adoption papers that prove you are part of the kingdom of God, part of his family. Why? Because you believed in Jesus. How do you belong to the church? Through faith in Christ. That's what God says. So who are we to say it's different? Verse 4. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls. And he, he will be upheld. For the Lord is able to make him stand. Paul is reminding them, look, the basis of the welcome into the church is not that this person agrees with you on what you can eat. The basis of the welcome into the church is that they believe in Jesus and therefore God has welcomed them in. We need to be careful that we don't change the gospel by the way we welcome or don't welcome others. That's a personally challenging thing. Who will we personally see as a brother or sister in Christ? Who will we seek to love? Who will we seek to encourage? Who will we seek to help? Who will we welcome into our homes? Who will we have as part of our church friendship group? Who will we play with after church? I know that applies to all of us, doesn't it? Just those who agree with you? Is that what we're supposed to do? When we welcome those who differ, how will we welcome them? As those where it's our mission to change them? When we get to the end of the chapter, we're going to see that we need to be very, very careful if we tread into those waters of, of helping someone to change their mind on these things. It's not that there's no place for that, but we need to be very careful about it. Or will we welcome people as those walking with us, with Jesus? There's a personal application, but then a corporate application for us as a church who will we welcome who will we welcome to the communion table who will we welcome into membership what do we let become the issues that might determine the yes or no there are some things that matter hopefully although we've just taken a a very kind of Overview of it, hopefully we've seen that this morning. There are some things that really matter, but let's be careful that we don't make decisions on the basis of stuff that doesn't matter. If God says it's okay, it's okay. 
How do we deal with a growing diversity of opinions in the church? Three words. Love one another. Welcome each other in Jesus. And work hard so that those differences don't become issues that divide us. Why? Why should we pour our effort into this? Why should we be praying about this? Why does this matter? It's been a question that's been on my mind as we we heard the sermon from Doug last week as I've been studying for this this week. Why does this matter? Because it can be hard. It can be difficult. Why does it matter? And I keep coming back to a verse, a, a statement of Jesus in John 13. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. As we love one another, we don't love one another to display that love in a sense to the world and say, look how good we are at loving one another. But as we love one another, as we grow as a people that welcomes the diversity of opinions but has a unity in Christ that bears with one another, that helps and supports each other, that encourages and prays for one another, that delights in what God is doing in each other, that will be seen by the world around us. And the world will know that we are Christ's disciples. And then as we go out and preach the gospel, there is a context in which we're preaching out of, And Lord willing, there is an attractiveness as the Holy Spirit uses that in people's lives. Our mission as witnesses to Jesus is affected by how we love one another. So let's pray and ask for God's help. Father, help us to love each other. Lord, it seems as we've gone through Romans and other um, passages of your word that you are wanting to really embed those three words in our hearts love one another we pray that you would help us to know that how that applies in different situations we pray that you would help us to work that out day by day as we see or maybe don't see each other so we we need to be more thoughtful of one another We pray that you would show us how that applies as we we see that role of encouraging one another to grow in Jesus as probably the greatest way we can love each other. Lord, will you help us? And by your Spirit, would you work these words, these messages that we've been hearing into our hearts and into our lives? Amen.